0: HEC Breakthroughs. A Knowledge at HEC podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Breakthroughs. This is a regular Knowledge at HEC podcast on the research coming out of Europe's top business school. I'm the HEC Chief Editor Daniel Brown. Today's Breakthroughs puts the spotlight on artificial intelligence and the work of a researcher who just arrived at HEC in 2022.
2: So, my name is Carlos Serrano. I am an Associate Professor of Economics and Entrepreneurship. I study markets for patents and and technology and the strategic value of patents for technology startups. Carlos
1: Serrano is Associate Professor in HEC's Department of Economics and Decision Sciences. In the past few years, Carlos has teamed up with his HEC colleague, Thomas Astebru, to explore the links between diversity and performance. But more recently it's been artificial intelligence and its complex relationship with business which has taken much of the two researchers investigative energies. And in the AI field
2: Carlos feels he's hit a gold mine at HEC. I am new at Dassasé. Okay, I have been here for a year and a half. There is so much that the school offers. It's so good to leverage all of that. My colleagues in marketing, they would tell you there might be new ways to tweak consumers to buy products. Finance colleagues like my co-author Thomas Astebro, they might be interested because they might find ways to reduce the risks in markets because you can process data faster and, and more effectively. My colleagues in the economics department, they are particularly interested in labor markets. I think it's across the school. But let's be clear, we are at the beginning. Okay, we don't know how long it's going to take and what the effects are going to be. Markets are very powerful. People don't necessarily have to lose their jobs. Price wages can adjust so that people do not lose their jobs. Uh,
0: AI. Here we go again. AI. 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 But it's not hardware that has white-collar workers concerned. It's rapidly advancing software since artificial intelligence is doing a lot more than finishing emails.
1: Yeah, but it can't do this. Last December, Carlos and Thomas organized a workshop inviting researchers and practitioners to discuss AI's impact on labor, firm creation, and the organization of companies. Early this month, we met to reflect on what Carlos calls a groundbreaking event, and I first asked him to put it in the
2: context.
0: HEC breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast.
2: Thomas and I think that about about every 10 years or so, there are massive technological breakthroughs that make possible what was not possible before, and it looks like this one it is. So it is not magic. It is actually technology that has been out there for for a while. It's just that for many of us, for the first time, we had access. ChatGPT by OpenAI became available. So these breakthroughs often shape not just what, you know, what you and I might be doing, but they also shape the way we organize economic activities and uh, to the extent that it can change our lives. I'm 40, 47 already, so I have seen a few of them, some of them uh, a bit more at later stage. So there is the internet, you know, the smartphone that was very, very real, and the cloud. So many people think that AI, and, and particularly LLMs, can be eventually as impactful uh, as these technologies have been.
1: Remind the listeners of LLM what it stands for. uh,
2: By LLM, I mean large language models. So in addition, again, anyone can recognize that the technology is evolving extremely fast with applications in finance, healthcare, consulting, education. I actually have to change my problem sets, you know, for the first time every year because the technology is becoming so powerful that my questions in the problem sets have to be different you know, to evaluate the students. So this is just one, you know, one little yeah. example. Everybody has their own way, yes, yeah, their own references. Now, AI's capabilities to automatize tasks also appear to have the potential to significantly affect entrepreneurship. Now, how come up with new ideas, how we organize teams, and more generally labor markets. Uh, we don't know exactly how this time this is going to be, but it is possible that we are going to necessity. There is going to be a necessity to have a discussion about re-skilling Job displacement, new job creation, teamwork. We are training MBA managers of the future. So I and my colleague Thomas, you know, we would like to know more about this. Not just to do our own research, but to see how much of that can be incorporated into our teaching.
1: Carlos Serrano, there there were eight sessions aimed at better understanding the intersections between AI and entrepreneurship, and they brought together academics, industry representatives, sponsors, and students from all over the world, including some top names uh, that are too numerous to list in this podcast. Why is it important to bring together such people around these issues
2: just now? This is very personal to me, okay, so I might be biased on this, but... On the one hand, there is research that tells us that bringing people together, especially the types that rarely meet, to the same location and having them committed to stay there, to talk and think about one topic like this one, can be a very powerful tool to the flourishing of new ideas, but also to challenge existing ones. Okay? There are two professional events in my life that taught me this. One is my PhD. I was working on markets for ideas. I was writing a theoretical model. I I got stuck. I didn't know how to continue. And I thought, oh, ideas, you know, patents. Maybe patents are sold. Maybe there is a market, maybe a market. No clue about that. No clue among my colleagues, including my advisor. But I happened to say, why don't I talk with someone in law school, in the law school? We had a very good law school at the University of Minnesota. So I went there and I talked to a law professor. Obviously, the law professor knew about patents and knew about markets for patents. He had actually been a consultant in, in some transactions. So he pointed me at, is here, here is the legal you know, context. There is something called patent assignments. They might be recorded. Seeing that was my way to understand that there exists a data source of how these assets are sold, that there is indeed a market. And I have been working on that for 20 years. I would not have been able to do that if I had kept talking to economists, because none of them was working on this. The second one is I had admi- my I have a co-author, Rosemary Sedones. Before we were co-authors, she invited me to attend a conference in Michigan where it was the very first conference that I attended where participants were academics and practitioners. Never had done that in my life. That event I met a practitioner, a patent broker, that also changed the way I think about the value of patents and the strategic value they play in litigation, in, you know, reaching agreements. That also transformed the way, in the next five years, my papers were different because of that person, Ron Laurier. So these two events have changed the way I think about uh, these events. So when I had the opportunity to do that, one myself, uh, and when I talked to a few colleagues here, we thought that having a round table uh, and bringing people together would be a good idea. In their
0: head. Now companies are using AI as a tool to help innovate, and even in some cases using it to potentially innovate on its own. And that's a real shift in
1: the paradigm from what we've done in this nation for 200 plus years, where the patent statutes have said that an inventor is a person. Well, now what's actually doing the inventing is, is a computer. It's uh, artificial intelligence and how do we adapt our system to to handle that? AI has been a top- Carlos. Your own research uh, has been on patents, as you said earlier, their market, their value, and use, among other things. What studies have you been exploring on this juncture between AI and entrepreneurship?
2: So, let me tell you first about what people are doing and, and what, you fit in. yeah, what I fit in and and what I might be doing. Okay, people have been using machine learning in the study of the economics of innovation especially because patents, the study of patents and patent landscapes is a topic of interest for corporates and consulting. And they they basically are trying to search for prior art, analyze the patent landscape, predict technological trends. They have been doing this for a while. Researchers as well. So they have been using this tool to refine existing measures of similarity between patent portfolios of companies. Uh, For instance, these techniques can be useful to assess the synergistic value between acquirers and potential targets and markets for for technology. What I find really interesting is when the new technology opens up the possibility to investigate an area that in the absence of such technology would have been otherwise impossible or extremely hard to do it. What excites me is that these new technologies, especially large language models like ChatGPT applications, their ability to quickly process massive amounts of text. And this can be a game changer, because in the absence of that technology, it's very difficult to do it. For instance, the interaction between the inventors and patent examiners in determining this thing that an invention in a patent application is truly novel and obvious, and why. Now, when someone files for a patent to a patent office, there is a process. There is documentation that goes back and forth. There are meetings between the patent inventors and the examiners discussing the extent to which their innovations are novel. That is recorded, but that has not been, for the most part, being used because it's a lot of text. It's a lot of data. So, access to uh, artificial technology, you know, or this type of tools will allow us to actually dig down into that documentation. That. Has the potential for us researchers to understand what innovations are truly innovative from the point of view of the researcher. Uh, it also helps us to, under- to better understand the process to get a patent. But then there is also the potential for the patent office to improve their processing of patent applications, to make it faster. There is also evidence that there are some patent examiners that are extremely productive, and there are other ones that are much less. But if we could automatize part of the process with the ability of the top examiners, that would increase the efficiency of the patent office, and also it, not only in speeding up patents, but also in reducing uh, patents that should not have been granted, because that examiner did not have the right you know, knowledge. Okay? So that's, that's a possibility.
1: And can you use this technology for other fields of research that you're involved in? Uh, For example, uh, the strategy and financing of entrepreneurial
2: activities, including startups. This is a topic that I'm thinking, it it actually, the idea comes up from the workshop. So here at HCC Paris, we run the CDL, and you have come to the CDL. The Creative Destruction Lab uh, that was founded by uh, Rotman School of Management and Ajay Agrawal. At yeah. So this is an accelerator for startups, some of them in France, some of them elsewhere in Europe mainly. Okay? And they are in climate, AI, and, and even space. Okay? At the centerpiece of this program is that there is an unlimited supply of ideas. And if you, if you have good ideas and know how to execute, what it is missing, we think, and AJ thinks, is uh, the knowledge that you know, mentors have on how to execute. So we have the, the individuals, the young people with the ideas, Okay. We, we also have the somewhat older people with the money, but we need the, the, the people with the ideas need help on how to execute. CDL helps that through the role of the mentor. So our program works because there are mentors, but we cannot truly scale up our program because we don't have enough good mentors. Now, I thought automatizing mentors would be difficult, but I was challenged by one of our participants in the roundtable. So Andrea Prignataro pitching him the program, he told me, I think this can be automatized. We basically talked for 30 minutes about this, or so plus. Now I believe that some of those parts can be automatized. I also think we have the right data to make that possible. Because we basically tape an, the interactions between mentors and founders, whether they're ones in small groups and in large groups. And we also have a lot of data on what gets to be done, why, why, et cetera, You know, how quickly. So there is a possibility, and Tom and I are considering this, as well as HEC parties, considering evaluating the possibility to create an AI mentor. We don't want to replace the mentors. The issue here is to assess the extent to which this can be effective. So that they can allocate their time in, you know, answers to questions that come again and again and again. Mm -hmm. But this is one part. But then there is the potential to apply this AI mentor to the ideas that we get, you know, applications with on the hundreds, but we cannot support Okay, and then you know the next step is to, for our students. Here, at she said, they can have access to a mentor, and then once these startups are sufficiently developed, then maybe we can take them in the CDL. So Tom and I are thinking about this from a research point of view, but also like with the practical implication of CDL. The motivation comes exactly from the workshop. Is this one of magic encounters uh, that you know I had in my life? So this is one of them.
0: I think this is a story of the power of community, you know, bringing together the local ecosystems.
1: Sonia Sonik is the executive director of the Creative Destruction Lab.
0: And building infrastructure and a bridge across so many different geographies, industries and sectors. CDL has really been able to build a global community of excellence and every year we're getting more and more incredible ventures and mentors participating. So I feel like we, we've built a momentum and that's thanks to our community of mentors, ventures and alumni companies that continue to give back to the community as well. HEC breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC podcast.
1: These are topics that were hotly debated during this workshop which explored a diversity of topics. Um, Carlos, they, this ranged from a study on generative AI and human crowdsourcing, to exploring if it will be cost-effective to automate human tasks with AI. There were also several explorations based on field research, and one combined human expertise and AI around radiology. You you mentioned that at the beginning. That was presented by one of the four co-authors,
2: Nikhil Agarwal of MIT. What conclusions uh, did he present? So the findings suggest that the mere presence of AI assistants, so having access to the AI, in his case, through the radiology process, isn't enough to enhance outcomes. How AI is integrated and used matters significantly.
1: This is a bit of a reality check that he, he seems to be putting forward, that it didn't uh, uniformly increase the quality of the human diagnosis, for example.
2: Yeah, so some radiologists, he found, did not incorporate the AI insights into the decision-making process, despite the potential benefits of doing so. This highlights, in my view, the need for training and systems that support radiologists in integrating the AI assistance more effectively, aligning the human expertise with the AI capabilities uh, to optimize you know, the process in which they make decisions.
1: Nihil does say that radiologists could gain from AI assistance because it could rectify deviations uh, due to what he calls belief updating. Uh, By the way, what does that mean?
2: So it means that the radiologists did not update their beliefs uh, in the theoretical optimal way that we would expect after receiving the AI-generated predictions. So we, we have a theoretical way to think of how People change their decisions based on new information that it is provided away, and they deviated from that. And, and the complexity of the information, it might be something not just new, but too complex for them. There must there might be some additional information that must be provided for them to actually behave according to what we would expect. So Nikhil found that adding contextual information, such as the clinical history of the patient, because that was hidden in some of the AI, so you basically were given you know, the AI prediction, but you were not told much about the patient. Under those conditions, we have the findings that we described. But when such contextual information is provided, it increases the diagnostic quality. So this suggests that human experts, again, can, who can access to, uh, and interpret the contextual information not yet incorporated in the AI algorithm, you know, that can play a critical role in decision-making.
0: Will Artificial Intelligence replace radiologists? This is Bertalan Meskó, and you're watching the channel of The Medical teachers. The rapid development of Artificial Narrow Intelligence, mostly in understanding images, text and videos, will have a significant impact on radiology. IBM launched an algorithm called Medical Sieve qualified to assist in clinical decision-making in radiology and cardiology. Some experts think that within years, many machine learning algorithms added to the radiologist toolkit will be in clinical testing in the US. However, there are so many more factors in making the diagnosis than just the MRI or CT scans. And the work of radiologists is definitely not only about medical imaging. Artificial intelligence could only help do their work even better, more efficient and faster. Thus, I cannot stress more that AI will not replace radiologists. However, radiologists who use AI will replace
1: those who don't. Michiel also said that this is an iconic example in machine learning, uh, radiology. Um, so, how can such a study be generalized
2: to disciplines beyond radiology? Typically, academics we don't like to generalize or extrapolate. You know, something done in one particular area to others. Let me give you just one example. So, one concern I have is that radiologists might be particularly conservative because medical applications involves people' lives. So, making a mistake can mean someone not giving the proper treatment, right? In other disciplines, such as education, the negative consequences of the wrong AI prediction will be lower, and as a result, the users of the technology are less likely to doubt its benefits, and consequently, the AI assistance alone can be enough to enhance outcomes. The actual findings that we will get in other fields could be different, and it might depend on on, on how much the, the user care about the negative consequences of their choices.
1: Is ChatGPT a jobs killer? Well, who better to ask than ChatGPT itself? The AI told me, quote, it can potentially replace jobs that involve generating written content, such as writing news articles, product descriptions, or social media posts. If, however, you prefer a human answer to that question,
0: Here's one of the smartest humans we know, MIT professor and author, Sanan
1: Aral, who told us it's one of the greatest upheavals in the labor market we've seen in a long time, adding this.
2: It will displace jobs. It will create what's known to economists as skill-biased technical change technical change that favors some skills and complements some skills and substitutes for or competes with other skills. And every time in human history that we have experienced something like this, we've had to reskill and change our focus on what humans did and what machines did in order to create complementarities and increase uh, welfare across the board.
1: There was another fascinating study uh, presented by Pamela Mishkin uh, at the workshop. Uh, She co-wrote an article on the potential impact of these uh, large language models, the LLMs you mentioned, uh, like GPT, on the American labor market. And she concludes that around 15% of all worker tasks in the United States could be done much faster at the same level of quality by using such uh, GPTs. And th- this figure shoots up to around 50% of all tasks if you include software that that's built on top of the LLMs.
2: How do you analyze the impact of such uh, research, Carlos? Being cautious, because uh, what Pamela, who, who works in OpenAI and, and co-authors show us, is somehow an upper bound on what tasks could be affected. That doesn't mean that, the humans currently employed doing those tasks will be replaced that also depends on the cost of adoption how effective the ai might be and we have discussed uh, just discussed an article which not necessarily is easy to be implemented it will take a while to really figure it out so we should think of this as an upper bound on how existing tasks might or might not be affected but then the technology will likely bring the opportunity, you know, to, to do the new jobs, new tasks, while we some tasks might be affected to the extent that humans might stop doing them, there will be others that humans will take over. It's it's a very nice study. It's a first step towards understanding the labor implications, but it's the beginning.
1: Yeah, and and for me, it has echoes of the other revolutions we talked about earlier, the discovery of electricity, steam engine, and so on. There was also this panic about job loss, and we saw that uh, it was not well founded. Pamela uh, concludes that LLMs could have considerable economic, social, and policy implications in the United States. What, What about the other continents and countries? Um, what universal implications are there that can't be exported
2: uh, in Europe, Asia, or, or beyond, or can be? Putting aside whether these consequences might be positive or negative, there is a big difference between now and, for example, the internet. You know, when I was nineteen, eighteen the internet was over. To access the internet, you needed a computer. It was expensive. To access the internet, you needed a very good internet connection. Otherwise, it would be so slow. And you also need the hardware, you know, modems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it wasn't accessible for many people, even in Western countries, uh, much less in developing countries. This time, this is different, for good or bad, because uh, we have the internet connections, whether they are like through cell phones or at home, we have the computers. And in terms of language, you know, you don't need actually to know computer science or anything like that. You can interact with the LLM to find out about how to improve your letters. You don't need to know English alone. You can actually interact with the LLM with your own you know, French, Spanish, even small languages. This is a very different. So the benefits of it will not necessarily stay just in the United States. This is one of these first times that the field has been leveled. So... Everyone is having access to this, you know, whether you are a in the office or you are you know, in Kenya or in Uganda. In rural settings, exactly. worldwide, where traditionally access to
1: technology is more challenging. So these are just two examples, these two papers of the research presented in what you've called and, and you've um, justified as groundbreaking workshop. We see so many conferences and debates, Carlos,
2: around AI these days, for you, what, what's the makes it stand out I mean there is a lot of them going on something distinctive about our workshop, I would say is that from the beginning it it wasn't targeted just people who had been working on AI so we wanted to have both a connection between the people who had been working for a while and the ones that wanted to know about it whether they are academics or non-academics and second the idea to have in the same room not just academics but also industry experts And to be clear, I moved to HSA 18 months ago. I don't know if I... I mean, I might have done this before in other places, but it would have been really difficult because academics, we often don't have the connections. But here at HSA, actually, if I don't have the connections, my colleagues have the connections, so it's a lot easier. So it, it has been a blessing. Okay.
1: Yeah, these an- industry experts ranged from Sunny Qian Chen, who works at the United Robotics Group. Uh, there was Lubna Karui, president of AI Exponential Thinker. And finally, Andrea Pignataro, who founded Ion. What did you get out of this exchange? How important was it, this roundtable, confronting their realities with uh, those of uh, academics like you?
2: The motivation to have them was because initially I told you I wanted to have people with different views. What I found also is that the industry experts were generally thinking ahead of academics, Hmm. okay? So one could argue that the world of academics, and this is my view, especially empirical researchers, is biased towards questions that can be answered with available data. You know, whether we like it or not, I think ahead of the questions, I think five years ahead. But for good or for bad, the empirical papers that we see today in an area that is working very expanding very fast, is because someone is allowing you to have access to that data. So this leads to studies where the subjects are radiologists, recently graduated MBA, working in top consulting firms, etc. Those are short-term questions that we need to understand, of course, before we move to the long-term questions. But the long-term questions, such as organizational learning, organization of the firm, and governance and risk management, these are first-order questions. These are questions that were brought by actually industry experts. They wanted to know about that. Mm-hmm. And some of them said, you know, I wish we could have done more, more of that in the conference. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, Thomas and I wanted to have some of this. But there is not yet that work being done. Well, it might be in the next workshop that I'm sure will be coming up. But you said
1: earlier that it was a strategic decision to put them at the end of the day where they'd heard all day, these academics. And I'm wondering, since you also said that they're in some way ahead of the field, the academic field, how do you feel there? vision, their viewpoints, their questions, were modified by what they listened to all day in your exchanges afterwards. Do
2: you get some uh, pointers on that? Uh, we didn't go into that detail, I think, with them, but all all of them were very happy about the event. And they all said that they would like to participate in more events like this once, and they thought that it is not enough. How this event has changed their professional life, I don't know. You might have to talk with them. Mm-hmm but it has changed my life in the sense that I have new projects that most likely they would not exist because I would not have thought of them unless I had organized this workshop.
1: Were there any other points that the industrial experts brought up that marked uh,
2: this event? There were three areas in AI that had not been fully addressed in the workshop, but that could be in, in future workshops. One of them was organizational learning. So how the gradual digitalization and optional you know, use of AI will increase transparency within the firm. The second area that was brought up by the industry experts was you know, how the algorithms or the AI and human, humans cooperate. Uh, they thought that this is very relevant, And they thought that this is going to have implications on how firms organize themselves. Another issue that came up, it was about governance and risk management. So it was said that risk gets transformed, but it doesn't go away when you use artificial intelligence or automatized processes. If everything is done by machines, then you need to have risk management for machines. So we, we do have now a lot of risk management for humans a lot less for machines. Mm. But as we transition into an environment where machines will do a lot more of what we do, we have to rethink on how to manage that risk so the risk doesn't disappear. So the governance of the risk framework is an interesting area of a study that was brought up by the participants.
1: And- because they said we need more help or more advice or more knowledge in that field. Finally, Carlos, uh, where from here. I imagine there are plans. You, you mentioned it quickly uh, to renew this event and perhaps put
2: it on paper, publications. Oh, so in regards to the workshop, we have received very positive feedback from from participants. So we're currently kind of uh, raising funds to renew the event. And yes, even even when you're uh, money doesn't come from heaven or anything like that, you know we have to raise money like any entrepreneur does. There's no AI automation around that. <laughs> Unfortunately, not yet. Okay, uh, we, we already have raised some money. So we, we are happy. We, we think we can do it. In regards to publications, my co-author Thomas has worked on AI into finance. He has a paper published three years ago. I don't have anyone yet. But I thought everything that AI brought until recently was very much of the same. I predict what I was doing before. I'm not excited about that. You know, I, I choose projects with a five-year horizon. This time I think is different. This time is transformative. So things that are not were not possible now they are possible. I, I need to jump. So I had, as I told you, one of these few in a lifetime meetings in, in the workshop, and that has changed my research agenda or some of that. So Thomas and I and a few colleagues, as you say, uh, are putting together a research proposal, and, and the plan is to take seriously the automation of mentors. And, and think what works see what doesn't work and if we manage to move this forward enough you know it will hopefully one day be applied you know and be useful for our students Carlos Serrano thank you very much oh thanks a lot for inviting me and and you know my office and everybody else knows my office uh, as I say feel free to email me or stop by thank you Carlos
1: Serrano, Associate Professor in HEC's Department of Economics and Decision Sciences. Within economics, Carlos explores the funding behind innovation and particularly how that relates to venture capital and lending. You can find out more by checking his HEC webpage. Well, that wraps up this month's Breakthroughs. Tune in again next month for more insights into what the school's academics are researching. But until then, why not look up some of our other podcasts on the Knowledge at HEC pages, and please send in your comments and questions to me at HEC.fr. That's brownd.hec.fr. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.